We've been talking about for the last couple weeks about prayer with this uh, sermon series, When We Pray. And even in a country that is increasingly secular, half of us admit to praying every day. And that's a huge number because only 30% or so of people attend church regularly. So it's a much higher number than attend church. Half of us admit. Now, even if we don't believe in God, there are ways that people still pray today through mindfulness and Eastern meditation or sending good vibes and manifesting and vision boards and all those things where we have this desire to connect with something outside of ourselves. That is something that you were born with, this desire to talk to someone outside of yourself, even if we just put the label on it that it's the universe that is listening. But as Christians, we're still a little bit confused about prayer at times. Because if God is an all-knowing and all-powerful God, then why does he ask me to come and pray about things and tell him things? What's the point? Does it even make a difference? Why do some prayers seem like they take a long time to get answered? Why do some seem like God is not listening? And if God is all-powerful, why doesn't he just answer our prayers the first time we ask? Do my prayers even really matter? Well, the number one reason Jesus told us to pray is this. Because he told us to. <laughs> you ever have your parents do that to you, right? Why do you want me to, to do this? Because I said so, right? I never liked that answer, but Jesus did tell us to pray. We talked about that in week one, and that's where this title comes from. Right here before the Lord's Prayer or the model prayer, Jesus says, when you pray. So we pray. Not only did Jesus tell us to pray, but he modeled it for us. He prayed himself many times. He got alone during his short life and would pray and would call out to God his Father. Now, that's such a weird thing to think about when you think about the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But it is too mysterious and too amazing for us to shove into our small human mind that Jesus prayed. But mostly he prayed as an example for us. In Philippians 4, 6, it tells us not to be anxious about anything, but instead to take it all to God in prayer. And if we do that... There is a peace that is available to us that passes all understanding. So we pray firstly because Jesus told us to. Secondly, we pray because prayer changes us. Prayer changes my perspective. Prayer magnifies God in my heart and in my situation, and it minimizes my trouble. Prayer changes me. Paul goes on as he's talking about prayer and tells us to pray without ceasing. And that can sound overwhelming, but what that means is it's not just a five-minute memorized thing in the morning or at night. No, prayer is a conversation with God throughout the day, waking up saying, Dear Jesus, and hitting your head on your pillow saying, Amen. How many were when you were younger before maybe there was text messaging or even cell phones would uh, call your little crush on the phone, right? And you'd stretch the cord as far as you could go. 
and you'd sit on the couch or on a bed somewhere and you'd talk for hours and then you would fall asleep on the phone with still not hung up, right? This should be the sweetness of a conversation with Jesus. This constant back and forth all day long, just wanting to spend time with him. And I would love to tell you that I'm always there. I'm not, but I want to get there. More often than not, I pray what the disciples asked Jesus right before his teaching on this model prayer when they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And that's a, a prayer that I pray often. God, teach me to pray. So we pray because Jesus told us to. And we pray because cha uh, prayer changes us. And thirdly, we pray to get guidance in our life, to help us discern the right way to go and the wrong way to go. James says that if we lack wisdom, we can ask God and he will give it. That's such an amazing promise for us to be in this constant communication with God and him to direct our life, to give us wisdom. Once Jesus uh, uh, even asked a crippled man if he wanted to be healed. And that brings us to our fourth reason that we pray is is because he wants us to ask. Why would you ask someone that couldn't walk if they want to be healed? Because asking is an act of faith. Right? Many times before Jesus healed people, he waited them for them to ask to be healed. See, prayer should not just be a means of getting God to do our will on this earth, but rather as a means of getting God's will done on this earth. Why? Because God's wisdom far exceeds our own and he wants us to ask because asking builds a relationship and asking allows us to participate in what he is doing so ask and keep asking and hey look it's okay to pray for little things too just little things throughout your day now don't be disappointed when it doesn't fit into god's will but he just might answer that little prayer as well why? Because he wants us to ask. Last week, we started off with praise as we talked about prayer, remembering who God is and then trusting him with control. And we walked up here to the front and we symbolically placed our biggest worries in God's hands. God, I praise you. God, I trust you. I give you control. How have you done? How's it going? Over this last week, those worries, have you taken them back and put them back on your shoulders? Hopefully you've been able to continually decide to give those worries over to him. The staff divided those cards and we've been praying over them this last week. There was some huge things on those cards. Worries about marriages and jobs and addictions and loneliness, and health, and loved ones. And church, we want you to know that we love you, and that God loves you, and that you're not alone. And in this, where you're at right now, remember who God is, and who you are, and who you are to each other. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is 
in heaven. Matthew 6.11 goes on to say, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We just talked about why we pray and how God wants us to ask. We ask for what we need daily, understanding that every good gift comes down from God. And that he deserves thanks and gratitude for everything that we have. We ask him to sustain us and to give us strength and to fill us in our weak moments. But we also come to God asking for forgiveness. We confess our faults to God. We admit our failure and we agree with God about our sins. I remember when I was a kid, uh, I used to like, uh, y'all ever heard of fire? It's this thing you can play with. Uh, at least that's what I thought when I was about 11 or 12 years old. Uh, and every once in a while we'd, uh, you know, try and hide somewhere and start a little fire and we'd melt our G.I. Joe's. Or, or something weird like that. And I came home once uh, to my mom asking a lot of questions, right? And uh, I lied to her about what we were doing, you know, probably, you know, going door to door, telling people about Jesus is probably something like I said. But what we were actually doing was, was playing with fire. And she looked right through it and knew that I was lying, right? Not only had I never done that before, but also... The parents of my neighbors had called and told her that, <laughs> that I was playing with fire. Also, I smelled like a chimney, uh, so it's pretty obvious. But I tried to lie, right? I tried to get out of it. And confession is this lying down and laying our lies down and laying down what we think about ourselves and bearing our souls to God. God, I have sinned. There is no use in hiding it. Forgiveness is available to you. Why not take it? When I was in college, uh, I went through a phase. You know, we, I was eating pizza all the time and gaining weight, and I didn't like that. Uh, my clothes weren't fitting. And so I tried these different weird diets. And I remember one time uh, we had these, you know, like three two liters of soda unopened, had never touched it, and I decided I wasn't going to drink soda anymore. And so I went around to all the other guys in the dorm, and I asked them if they wanted these two liters of soda. Nothing wrong with them. They weren't on some weird diet. And every single one of them said no. These unopened two liters of soda, they said, no, I don't want them. And it just boggled my mind. It's like, why don't you want this? I know you're going to go and buy soda later. Why don't you want this? Now, to be truthful, I did play a lot of pranks on people, so... That could have been some of it, but it was, it was sealed, and there was no way I could have done anything to it. One time we, uh, this is a, uh, I don't normally get off on rabbit trails, but I'm pretty proud of this one. Uh, one time we shaped a stick of butter into like a triangle, a long triangle, and we drizzled chocolate syrup over top of it, and it looked exactly like a cheesecake. And we left it in the fridge until someone tried to steal our cheesecake, and uh, they got a big mouthful of butter. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> so that might be why they didn't trust me to take. But I was walking around with these sodas saying, why don't you want this? This is weird. And that's how I feel about God and his forgiveness. Why would you not want to accept that? 
It is available to you no matter what you have done. But we have to come with confession, come with repentance, ready to admit who we are before God. In 1910, G.K. Chesterton wrote a book asking the question, what is wrong with the world? And he took many, many pages to say this two-word answer, I am. I am what's wrong with the world. When we say, forgive us our debts, these debts are not financial, they are sin debts. How have I sinned? I have uh, brought pain and hurt into this world. And we've shown off our knowledge and wanted people to be impressed by us so that we could be seen of men and to be pumped up because we want people to recognize us and we put other people down. And we uh, act out of anger and irritation or we've excused ourselves while we condemn other people. We've held ourselves to a standard and other people to another standard that does not match up. We've villainized others while we victimize ourselves. And sin flushes into this world. Well, Pastor Phil, what about the big sins like uh, adultery and and, uh, drunkenness and stealing and, and all those big... Yeah, those are sins too. But these are the sins where we lift ourselves up and we put others down. These are the sins of the Pharisees. These are the sins where we lie to ourselves that we are okay These are the sins that are dangerous and they hold on and they hide in our hearts and we excuse them and they're hard to kill. But we are sinners and we are debtors. And that's why we say we owe people an apology because it's it's a debt. We must confess our faults even though it's hard and it's painful. Why? Because there is a promise on the other side in 1 John 1.8 that if we claim to be without uh, sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But the next verse goes on and says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. If we walk around like we never sin, we are lying to ourselves. But there is forgiveness that is available. And God can purify us once we admit that we are sinners and that we mess up. And not just generally, specifically where those things and those failures are in us. As Christians, we should be acknowledging our sin and offense against God. And acknowledging that first, that is what that whole story about the guy that had a beam in his eye and trying to help someone that had a little speck in their eye. It's not that we don't help people with their faults. We take care of our big faults first. And we should acknowledge our sin against God and confess them to the only one who can forgive. And once we get that forgiveness and we understand it and appreciate it, we become forgivers because we have been forgiven of so great a debt. If you're a Christian that's put your faith in Jesus to save you and to forgive you of your sins, then you are positionally forgiven and justified forever. And what Jesus did on the cross was enough to cover your sin and save you from hell for eternity. 
If you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, you're positionally forgiven. But relationally, we still need to make sure that we don't have any unconfessed sin or unrepentant sins between us and God or us and His children. So we confess our sins. And one of the great amazing things about everything in God's Word, it's always better for us. Because that old adage is true, confession is good for the soul. It should be added to your daily prayer life. Guilt and shame push us away from God. When we don't come to God for, those, uh, for that forgiveness and confess, it pushes us away from God. But confession and forgiveness bring us victory. Tyler Stanton said this. He said, one of the biggest mistakes that we have made in the modern church is to reimagine spiritual maturity as a need to confess less. The unspoken assumption is, as I ascend in relationship with God, I confess less because I have less to confess. But true spiritual maturity, though, is the opposite. It's not an ascension. It's an archaeological dig as we discover layer after layer of what is in us all along. Spiritual maturity means more confession, not less. Maturity is discovering the depths of my personal brand of fallenness and the depths that God uh, and His grace has really gone to, even without me knowing it. It's not a time where we, you know, have been a Christian for 20 years and all of a sudden we don't have to confess anymore. No, it's if we are growing in our faith and mature as Christians, we are quick to see where we have failed and to come to God and ask for forgiveness. And repentance goes hand in hand with confession. Repentance is a little bit different. It means to turn around. To confess is to come to God and say, hey, I admit that I did this and I agree with you about how this is wrong for me and bad for me. But repentance is reminding ourselves to trust him and to give him control. It goes hand in hand with, with confession, but repentance goes a step further by making a plan to not put yourself under that temptation again and praying for God's help. And praying for discernment so that you know how not to put yourself in those situations where you fall into temptation. Repentance means to make a plan and take steps of action. And we do know that God will never lead us into temptation without an escape by leaning on his power. So ask for that escape. Reach out to someone because sin dies in the light. And make a plan. Maybe it's changing your surroundings or, or maybe it's uh, distancing yourself from a person that causes you to sin. Or maybe it's a certain time of day where you feel a little bit tired or something and you're ready to jump down people's throats. Or maybe it's uh, after you uh, ha are disappointed by something, you're tempted to run to a certain sin. Temptations challenge us, but they also exercise our faith. But well, we've got to make a plan. We start with confession and admitting to God and to ourselves that this thing is wrong and it's bad for us. And repentance is that turning around, starting to take action against that sin. 
So we start out when we pray, lifting up God for who he is and worshiping him and reminding ourselves to trust him and to give him control. And the funny thing is, is as we come in contact with how holy our God is, we begin to understand how wretched our sin is. And as you get closer to the light of God, it's easier to see the filth that covers our hands. But cleansing is also available. See, the best that we can do on our own with the filth that's in our hands is to wipe it on our pants and make the situation worse. Making ourselves even more dirty. But through the blood of Jesus that is available through the cross, there's a spiritual cleansing of our sin that can get off even the most vile stains. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And confession forces us to put aside our pride and to face the facts about our faults and our flaws and our failures. And we own our part without blame shifting, without excusing. You can't change anybody else. You can't make them apologize or repent. What you can do is you can come into situations of saying, this is my part of it and I own it. Like David prayed in Psalms 139, 23, we should pray, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. As we have this archaeological dig throughout our day and remember those situations maybe that didn't go the way that we wanted them to, we go back and we ask ourselves, is there something in this situation that I messed up in or I hurt somebody or I said something I shouldn't have said? And going back through our day and examining our hearts for sin because confession is good for our souls. We should hold our lives up to God's word. Am I doing what God says I should do? Is there anything that doesn't match up? And where the Bible disagrees with culture, I, I don't make excuses. Instead, I follow God's word. Is there anything that I need to confess? Because when we bring our sin into the light, it weakens it. So we start with telling God and confessing to him. And then maybe you feel led by God to tell another mature Christian that you know loves you. Why? Because we can be there for each other and hold each other accountable. So this morning we're going to take a little bit of time to practice confession. I'm so glad that uh, in our church tradition you don't come to me and tell me all these things. That would really bum me out. <laughs> I got my own confession I need to do. Well, let's go to God with some stillness here in these next few moments. We're going to softly play some music. Let's ask God to search our hearts for any unconfessed sin. Could be as simple as a hurtful word or an attitude that uh, was passive aggressive. Or it could be something bigger, a, a, an unchrist-like attitude. Maybe it's a 
habitual sin that you need to help breaking, like pornography or drunkenness? Where do you need to stop struggling alone and seek help from a mature Christian? Give us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. Are there any blatant and deliberate sins that I need to confess? What about those unconscious sins? Like wrong motivation or not trusting God? Let's bow our heads and pause in silence. And let God highlight what you need to confess and work on today.